Mark chapter 10. We'll be in verses 32 through 34. This morning we're beginning a, a new four-week series called Get Up, The Resurrections We Need. Uh, in February it was Get Back In, Get Back Into the, the, uh, the Disciplines that, that Had Possibly Grown Cold, Grown Difficult, and, and All That Had Gone On, Time to Begin to Get Back Into Church Attendance, and Good to See So Many Folks here that uh, have their shots and feel more comfortable getting out. I'm, I'm glad you do. I'm glad you are here. Uh, and, and get back into worship and, and scripture reading and other things. And then March was get out. All right, that discipleship that we get back into should then lead us out of certain things that we uh, may have gotten into because of, of routine and ruts or just because we were out of the, the spiritual disciplines, we got into some unspiritual habits. And this, more, this month, now, let's get up. Let it, let's, let's look at those areas of our lives that need resurrection. If we go back to February, the series was very much about what you need to do. Get back into some things. And if we looked at March, it was about what you needed to do to get out of some things. Some, some areas of your life you need to get out of this month, this morning, beginning this uh, morning rather, and this month. It's a lot less about you and a lot more about Jesus. It's about the one who can get you up, who can resurrect. There's not a one of you that can resurrect yourself. Yeah, I mean, you're, when you're dead, you're done as far as it depends on you. You're not reaching for the paddles and saying, oh, this is, oh, this is awkward. It's not, no, it's not going to, you're done. You're out of the picture. Resurrection only comes from one place. And this morning, we are going to look at a resurrection of hope. Mark 10, verses 32 through 34, get us there. Read that with me. They were on the road, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are in life. I don't care what's going on with you right now. You need a resurrection of hope. There's something in your life that needs to be resurrected. There's something, some part of your life that is, you're probably struggling with right now. John, I'm going to move that uh, pack to the front. Hopefully it stops cutting out. See if that works for us. There's something that you need to, well, you just can't raise it. And it's, it, 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 it just can't be up to you. It's not a part of you 
that you can grab the paddles for and, and shock it back to life. It's, it's, it's out of your reach. It's, it's too deep for you to get to. It's, it's too hidden. It's too painful for you to touch. I don't know what it is, but you need a resurrection of hope. Jesus provi- provides that resurrection of hope in this, his third prediction of his death and resurrection. His third prediction in Mark of his death and resurrection. It's actually the most detailed of the three predictions in Mark. He goes into much greater detail, as we're going to see, about what will happen and how he will get to the cross. And we read it, and we, we know with hindsight now, we know what he went through. We know what it was that, that, that even his words here don't quite cover, well, not even quite, they don't cover at all the, the, the torture he experienced. But despite the, the pain and the death that his prediction describes, d- despite the astonishment and fear that it tells of right now, immediately before it happens, it provides us with six ways hope can be resurrected in our lives. Do you see hope in that passage? You may not right now, but I hope... I plan for you to see it by the time we get done. I feel like we need to define hope. I've done it before, but I want to do it again. Hope is not wishing. You don't hope you win the lottery. You wish you would win the lottery. You don't hope you have a rich relative that you've never heard of that when they die, they just thought you were the most wonderful person ever and left you their huge fortune. You don't hope that, you wish that. Hope is not wishing. Hope is defined biblically as confident expectation. We don't wish we could be saved if we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We don't wish that he will take us to heaven. We have hope that he will. We have confident expectation that he will. And there are days in our lives when hope Confident expectation is hard to come by. We may be going through life wishing things would turn out better. Counting on something to happen out of nowhere that our luck would turn. We may go through life that way, but rarely do we have the confident, I'll say rarely, there are times when we lose that confident expectation that things will turn around. This morning, I'm not going to give you any hope about your life tomorrow. I'm not going to give you any hope about the bills that are due or the, 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 the uh, uh, health crises that you may be facing or the, the family issues that you're going through. I, I can't give you hope confident expectation that tomorrow those things are going to be fixed and fine and perfect and go away and hip hip hooray. I can't give you that. But I'm going to give you hope if the Lord allows me today to speak clearly and for you to hear his word. I'm going to give you hope that you can go through life confidently expecting something beyond what you are going through right now. Something greater than what you are going through right now. Someone greater 
than anyone else in your life right now. The Savior displayed on that criminal's cross. Then Jesus arose. Hope, confident expectation. In his prediction here, we begin with hope in his presence. Now notice, not hope that he is present, not hope that we will be present, uh, present with him, but we can have hope in his presence. Verse 32 says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. We see in this passage that Jesus is walking ahead. Now, it would be very easy for me to get very preacherly here and to make a lot more of that one phrase, Jesus is walking, uh, was walking ahead of them, than the author probably intended. But I don't think we can just slide past it and not take it into account for a moment. I don't know that it is intentional that uh, Mark wrote, Jesus was walking ahead. It may have been just that that was the order they were walking in that day. It was typical for disciples to follow the rabbi, to literally just wherever he went, they went. So this was the order of things for this kind of experience, for this teaching experience. But, even if Mark didn't intend it to mean anything beyond this is what teachers and their disciples did. And I think he may have known. I think the Holy Spirit knew when he told Mark to write this. Even if he didn't know, it is a beautiful picture. Jesus is out in front of everything that will happen to you. It doesn't matter what comes down the road. It does not matter what path you are on. If Jesus is your Savior, if Jesus is your Lord, if you are following Him, He is always out front. He is always taking on whatever comes down the road towards you before you do. He sees it before you do. He knows about it before you do. When I was this big and to this big, went hunting with my grandfather. My grandfather loved to take us hunting and to teach us all about it. And, and, and when I got older, I was so happy that I got to actually build a deer stand and sit in it and have a heater and all this other stuff. It was it's like a mini apartment. My grandfather's idea of a deer stand was walking through the woods, finding a tree sitting in front of it and holding this up. This was a deer stand to my grandfather. To have a, a real deer stand was great. But it wasn't just about the deer stands and the, the freezing temperatures in central Mississippi, and it, it wasn't about the, 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 the vein of sausages and turkey sandwiches and pork and beans that we ate. Those were all wonderful. One of the most vivid memories of mine is that my grandfather never thought about the branches. The branches that we were walking through. The, the, the branches that he would pass through and let swing. 
the branches that were waist high on him and face high on me. And he would walk through them and it was no problem. That branch would flip forward and that branch would come back. And if I wasn't looking up, right in the face. Now, if my grandfather had known it was happening, he'd have been very sorry as he laughed at me. He would have thought it was hilarious, and he had apologized, and he had hugged me, and he would have loved me, and it would have been wonderful. But I don't think he ever knew it happened. You just learned after a while, when you're going through brush, hold your hand up, because he's not going to hold it for you. Jesus doesn't let the branches hit us. Now you're thinking, well, Michael, I'm going through some stuff right now. Yeah, I know. I know, you're going through the stuff, but, but Jesus doesn't let the branch hit you. And, and, and if he does, if, if for some reason he decides that branch needs to hit you, he decided that branch needed to hit you. Maybe it needed to wake you up. I don't know. Maybe you just needed to depend on him and say, wow, I needed that branch for some reason. I don't know. But my grandfather was somewhat oblivious to the idea that the branches were hitting us. Jesus never is. Jesus goes before us. He's out in front. And look what the disciples and the followers were doing. The disciples were astonished. And those who were following him were afraid. You may follow Jesus in both astonishment and fear. I followed my grandfather in both astonishment and fear. I followed him in astonishment because here was this pillar of a man to me who knew right where the deer were going to be. We, I talk about sitting in a deer stand. Rarely did we do that. We jump hunted deer. We didn't go out you know, before the break of dawn and sit down somewhere. Normally, we walked down a ravine that had grown over with brush, him on one side, my brother and me on the other. We walked down it. We had jumped a deer that had bedded down for the day. And the astonishing part was my grandfather with his 12-gauge shotgun, boom, one shot, and you'd see that deer tumble. At this point, he was probably in his, oh gosh, he was 70 to early 70s around in there, and take him out in one shot. I walked in astonishment and in fear because of the branches that were going to hit me if I was walking behind him. Now, that's a silly analogy, I think, because when we walk behind Jesus, I think we walk in real fear sometimes that he doesn't know about the branches. We walk in astonishment that he's letting us be there at all. We're with him. We are behind our Savior, but then we are in fear that this branch, he's, he's going to let that one go and it's going to hit me because he doesn't know about the branch. Jesus knows about every branch. Keep following him. In astonishment, in fear, some days in doubt, keep following him because you can have hope when you are in the presence of Jesus following where he leads. Hope in his presence. Secondly, we see hope in his explanation. Hope in his words. The second half, or actually the second third of verse 32. Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Hope in his explanation. Jesus speaks 
in order to prepare. I'm, I'm, we don't have nearly everything recorded that Jesus said. I am confident that there were times when Jesus and the disciples were just sitting around talking about stuff and it had very little depth to it. They were just talking. Silly things, politics, uh, uh, what was on TV, you know, just, just stuff that you would talk about. I, I'm, I'm confident of that. But I also know that the disciples knew when Jesus was speaking about things that they needed to respond to. They needed to take in. They needed to write down as the Holy Spirit led them. This was one of those times. Jesus speaks to them. And when Jesus speaks to you, it is in order to prepare you. And, and we may not know all the details. I mean, if, if my grandfather had said, duck, as we walked through the brush, it would have behooved me to duck. Not ask questions. I might wonder why the first time. Why do I need to duck? I don't see any ducks. Whatever, it, you know, it, just, you better duck. When Jesus speaks... We may not know all the details, but he tells us what we need to know. Jesus makes it clear when he speaks the amount of information we need. And it may seem confusing at times. This was going to confuse the disciples. Even though it's the third recorded time that we have it, it's still going to confuse the disciples. We are going to read later on, you will read in Luke and, and Mark, all the Gospels, that they, he's not here. What happened? When the grave was empty and the tomb was opened, what happened? We're confused. Why? He told you. Well, at the time, it was confusing. And he may give details, even if they're confusing details. He may tell you about the road that's coming. He may tell you what's going to happen. Give you some insight into tomorrow or the next day or the next day. But it might be, and I'm going to say 99% of the time it will be. I'm going to say 99.9% .9 of the time, and maybe even a little more, it will be that he is simply telling you to trust Him. Trust Him. Walk behind me. Come with me. Stay behind me. Keep following me. And trust me, He says. And that is what we need to hear. It has not changed. As certainly as Jesus turned around and talked to them uh, on the road to Jerusalem to tell them what they needed to hear, He does it today as He speaks to us through His Word. He tells us what we need to hear. We can have hope as we spend time in His words, listening to His words. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And these are His words in some supernatural way. No, this print on this page is not Jesus. But both the, 
God, both God incarnate, God in the flesh, Jesus, and the words of the Bible are both Jesus' words. They are both the word of God. We see God's words we see the words of Jesus written, we see the words that are Jesus written, and we follow the logos, the word that God sent but had always been. Are you confused? Me too. I just know that these are as surely his words, and if we flip back and we go to Proverbs, those are the words of Jesus, and we flip to Nahum, that's the words of Jesus, and we go back to 2 Samuel, words of Jesus, all the way to Jude, that's the words of Jesus. It's not in red, it's still his words. If they're God's words, they're Jesus' words. And we hear his words today. We need to hear his words today. And if we will spend time in his word, listening to his words, we will have hope. Hope in his explanation. Verse 33, we see that we can have hope in his confidence. The first sentence of verse 33, Jesus says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Jesus is confident that he will accomplish God's purpose. Jesus has confidence. He doesn't say, we might make it to Jerusalem. If things work out right, we'll be in Jerusalem in a few days. He doesn't say, well, we've got kind of an iffy itinerary. Uh, we've got a few other places to stop. And if we don't stay there too long, we, we might make it. No, we are going to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is where God's plan for Jesus will unfold. Jesus knows this. And Jesus is confident in his arrival. Jesus is confident in the one in whom has called him and in whom, in who has him? Confident in, he's confident that God holds him. There we go. Can't get my, my pronouns right. He's confident that God has called him to this path. He's confident that God has set his face to Jerusalem. And he is confident that God is going to be with him all the way to and through the cross. We can have hope in Jesus' confidence. Where's your confidence? In you? Get rid of that. In family? Don't put it there. In doctors, that's probably not a good place. In finances, in a stimulus payment, in, those aren't good places to put your confidence. Your confidence should be in the one who set his face to Jerusalem because of where his confidence laid. His confidence was in his father. You can have hope in the confidence that Jesus is with you through it all. If Jesus is saying, Michael... This is the direction we're going. We are going up this way. But Jesus, I don't like that way. I don't know what that way holds. I don't know if the branches are going to flap me in the face as we walk through there. I don't know what's on the other side of this. I don't know if I'm going to make it there. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And he says, I said we're going here. You don't have to have confidence in the path, in the way, in the, uh, the, the circumstances, or in the results. You only have to have confidence in me. Because he knows the path. We can have that confidence. 
And if we just go back a little bit, we find that Jesus says, or the scripture says, Jesus was walking ahead of them. If he says, this is the path, I can be confident every step, he's ahead of me. That's it. That's the way it works. Jesus was confident, therefore I can be confident. What if I don't know I can be confident? What if the doctor said this, I can be confident? What if this is the last dime I have, I've got way too much month and not enough money, I can be confident. I can be confident in my Savior who is walking down the path in front of me because he said, we are going up to Jerusalem. But don't, don't fly by this. Don't, don't, admit, don't, don't think that, well, he was just confident about Jerusalem because, you know, Jerusalem was a nice place to visit. We see clearly that was not the case in the next point. We see hope in his willingness. The rest of verse 33 and the first part of 34, Jesus tells us that this ain't no pleasure cruise that he's about to go on. They're not visiting Jerusalem to see the sights and enjoy some fine dining. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, his people, the Jews, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, the Romans, the ruling authorities. And they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And that doesn't even cover all that happened to him. Because the chief priests did some of those same things to him as well. But notice that Jesus has confidence that he's going to Jerusalem even though he knows the circumstances. No matter what the circumstances are, Jesus is willing. Folks, this takes a lot of faith on our part. I told you that you weren't going to have to do as much. Well, it's not as much. I mean, it's just your faith and giving Jesus your, your whole life. That's all. That, that, that's, that's really just, that's it. Jesus knows exactly what will happen to him. Yet he continues in obedience. Jesus knows exactly what will happen to him, and yet he continues in obedience. Why would we, who are not omniscient, who cannot see the future, who don't know what's next, why would we not be willing and not be confident when we have no clue what's coming next? We don't know what's going to happen. Oh, sure, this expert and that expert and this other expert and whatever situation we're in says this is what's going to happen, but they are guesstimating. They are looking at odds and averages and they're, they're gambling to some extent that they're sort of right. Only God knows what is coming. So why can we not be obedient when we don't have a clue whether what's coming is good or bad? When Jesus, in his example to us, sets his face toward Jerusalem, knowing exactly what he will uh, experience and is still willing 
to go for uh, to go through the pain and the death that he will endure are part of the plan and he knows it and if we re- when we read in John we find him praying that this cup and this is the cup that he asks to pass from him if there's any other way to do this do you hear it Do you hear the Savior that is confident that Jerusalem is the path, that is confident the cross is what's going to end up happening, who is willing to endure all that he has to endure the night before he goes through it? He is still the Son begging the Father to let this pass from him if there be any other way. But not my will, but yours be done. We can have hope in a willingness that is supernatural to face the coming test. We can have hope in Jesus' willingness. When we aren't willing, Jesus is willing. Fifth, we have hope in his death. I wish none of y'all knew the story. This would be a lot bigger surprise. Like, oh, wow. You'd be amazed. We really still should be. That we have hope in death. Death is the end. Verse 34, mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Well, it's over at that point. I mean, that's, that's done, right? Because as I said earlier, and, and they knew this, you can't resurrect yourself. When you're dead, you're dead. I know Lazarus, but that was, a, that was an anomaly sort of thing. I know Jairus' daughter, but that was Jesus doing the miracle. But Jesus is going to be dead, and dead is dead. Not the best quote, but as Max said, he's only mostly dead. That's bad. I better be careful there. He was incredibly, totally dead. But in God's plan, he wasn't finally dead. Max would be better to say it that way in The Princess Bride. He's not finally dead. See, Jesus lived to die. That was his whole purpose. His purpose was as a sacrifice. Yes, we read his words, we read of his life, and we see how he lived, how he responded, how he followed, and he is an example to us, absolutely. We should follow his example. We should hear his teachings and obey them. We are to be uh, uh, his disciples that imitate him as disciples should. Those are all parts of why he came, but the reason... The purpose for his living was as a sacrifice. Death is the God-ordained punishment for our sin. And that death is the reason Jesus came. We deserve death because we are sinners. Period, the end, stop. 
That is what we get. That was the pronouncement on sin from the very beginning. Because you have done this, you shall die. And death does mean at least the end of this physical living, but it is much, much more than that. The death that God talked about is separation from Him. That's the eternal death, not just the physical when this body stops working, but the eternal death that we no longer can experience God. We have no opportunity for a relationship with Him at all. And that is what we are due. As a human, as the one walking the road, talking to His disciples, facing Jerusalem, willing to go through all of this suffering, as a human, Jesus takes that punishment. He acts on my behalf. Human to human. One to one. He takes my punishment on the cross. But he was more than human. He wasn't just human. He was also divine. He is the Son of God. He never gave that up. He never ceased to be the second person of the Trinity. And as the divine, as the second person of the Trinity, as God in the flesh, not only does he humanly take my punishment, but he divinely satisfies the justice that was due. Because we might could say, as one human to another human, Jesus could take my punishment, but there are a lot of other folks he's got to take it for. And one human to one human, maybe, but one human to billions? Well, that's where his divinity comes in. He took the punishment for everyone because he divinely satisfied that justice. We have hope in his death. Because he died, we don't have to. Y'all, the bodies are still going to quit working. The older we get, the more parts start wearing out. I've come to the realization that unless I live to be 92, if I live to be 92, I'm, I'm middle-aged, right? 46, just hit it a few days ago. Is my math right? Okay. Well, life expectancy, I was middle-aged seven years ago. Ugh. Hearts are wearing out. They just are. Uh, some of y'all know I've been having some gallbladder issues, and somebody asked me about it a week ago. I said, no, I haven't had any problems. And then last week, guess what? I had problems. Just, they're just breaking. They're just, and it's a literal pain and a figurative pain. I was busy this week. I didn't have time for that. But I'm going to die. One day I'm going to die. I can put all my hope, all my faith, I can trust Jesus as my Savior, and I have, and I will still die, and you will die, and we all will die. But what won't happen is that we will never be separated from God. That's the promise. Jesus lived to die, and we can have hope that our sins were carried at the cross, covered by the blood. We will be forgiven. But Jesus doesn't stop there with his prediction. 
The truth of the matter is, if he had just died, it's really just big, big whoop. Who cares? Just some peasant carpenter, some rambling teacher, one more person Rome killed. Happens all the time. Footnote in history, not even that. It would be covered in uh, the history books by saying, and Rome killed many thousands of other people. And, and that would be this guy, Jesus, if he's just a human. If he just died and that was it. But it doesn't stop there, and he didn't even let them think it would stop there because in the last part of verse 34, he says, he, speaking of himself, the Son of Man, will rise after three days. And y'all, the disciples just missed it. They just, they just missed it. They, they got all these predictions, they were told, and they just missed it. And we look back on them and we say, how did they miss it? And folks, we miss it every day. I mean, the, the, the things that are so obvious to us, and, and, and yet we still miss it. We, we swear that if we, uh, if we had been there, we wouldn't have missed it. And yet people listen to people share the gospel with them regularly, and they still miss it. I pray this morning, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will hear the gospel this morning, and you won't miss it today. Because we have hope in his resurrection. Jesus lived to die, to die, but Jesus died to live. In living again, he proved his victory over sin and death. When he made all these pronouncements about himself and, and performed all these miracles that some people said, oh, those are just tricks, that's not real, that's the devil doing the devil's work, and all these other excuses the people who were there to see it made about what they were seeing, and we flippantly say, well, if I'd been there, I'd have believed it. They were there and they didn't believe it. These, it, 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 in, in rising from the dead, he said, all that stuff that I did, that was real. Okay, the stuff you did, but what about the things you said? Son of God and forgiveness of sins. When the, when the man was let down through the roof, the, the paralytic was let down through the roof uh, by his four friends, so that Jesus, because they couldn't get to him because of the crowd, so they, they cut a hole in the roof, they let him down in, in, in there, and Jesus tells the guy on the, the mat, Son, your sins are forgiven. And he, he knows the thoughts of the Pharisees, the, the folks on the edge who are going, how does, this, how does he forgive sins? Who does, he, who does he think he is? God. And he responds to their thoughts and says, all right, legit question, I, I, I guess. Um, what's easier to do? Say, son, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk, for example. Well, they didn't answer the question because, you know, they didn't like the, the hard questions. I said, I'll tell you, well, just, just, just so you know that if I say you can, your sins are forgiven, they are, I'll say, get up and walk, and he will. Get up and walk. And he did. Okay, if we take that act and we blow it up a few million times, Jesus at the resurrection is saying, the same exact thing to you and me. 
If, if I told you I would forgive your sins, if I, if I told you I was the Son of God and that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except by me, if I, if I told you all of these things, if I told you believe on me and you will be saved, if I, if I told you this, and you say, well, that's easy to say, which is easier, to tell you all those things or to personally rise from the dead? The disciples knew you can't resurrect yourself, right? We talked about that at the beginning. You can't do it yourself. What's easier for me to do, Jesus is saying, to forgive your sins or to rise from the grave three days later proving that I had forgiven your sins, proving that, I had, that everything I had said was right. And three days later, he rises from the grave proving that everything he said was right. But not just proving he was right. The proof, the, the glorious proof, is that we get to see that our faith is effectual. Our faith is effective. Our faith is work. Uh, our faith works. Our faith isn't work. Our faith works. We put our faith in someone who said, I am the Son of God, I'm going to die for you, and if you believe on me, you will be saved. And, and we believe it, but we believe it maybe with trepidation or concern, or as the disciples did with astonishment, and the other followers were with fear. They followed this guy, they believed that he said, what he said, but... Wow, and then he rises from the grave and we realize that our faith works. Our faith is effective because it's not in just a peasant or a carpenter or some Middle Eastern man 2,000 years ago, but it is in the very Son of God who came in order to die, to save me, to prove his love for me, to prove God's uh, expiating, propitiating, is covering love and forgiveness for us, who came and did these things, and then we get to walk in faith behind our Savior day by day with a resurrection of our hope that says there's nothing, nothing that can get in our way. You can have hope that your life after death is certain because Jesus lived after death. Now, what did I tell you earlier? I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about the things you're going through. I, I don't know about the tangles of your life. I don't know what branches are going to slap you in the face this afternoon and next week and next month and next year. But what I am 100% confident in is that by faith, we can have hope of salvation through Jesus today. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I don't know what my life will be, but I know what my death will be. I don't know what I will have to go through, but I know what I will come to after I have gone through it. The truth is, you can have hope that your life after death is certain. You can have not just, and, and here's, 
didn't just promise eternity, did he? He did. But he also made another statement. One that we sometimes just want to shake our heads at, and I get it, I know. But John 10.10, he tells us what life is like. The thief comes to do nothing but steal and kill and destroy, and our lives feel like that on the regular. That life is just being stolen and killed and destroyed. But Jesus said, that's what he came for, but I, on the other hand, came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He is walking the road in front of us. That is the abundant life we can have. You can have a resurrection of hope today. As a matter of fact, today you can have your whole life resurrected by the resurrected Savior. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is as simple as ABC. Admitting, believing, and choosing. Admit that you are a sinner. And you are. Now just lay it out there. You're a sinner. That's it. No, no talking necessary. You are. I am. And I can do nothing about that sin. Every one of us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Once we admit, we believe. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is. The wages of sin is death. We're going to suffer from it. We can admit that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to believe that he is who he said he was. And what's our proof? The tomb is empty. He's risen. That's our proof. What's easier? To say I'll save you or to rise from the grave? But to prove to you that I'll save you, I'm going to rise from the grave. And we need to believe that. But it's not enough to believe. James will tell us that even the demons believe and tremble. The demons know who Jesus is. They know all about him. They know the truth of the resurrection. They know the truth of his divinity. They know everything he taught. They know all of that. But they do not have saving faith because they have not chosen to follow him. Today, you need to choose to follow him. If you believe in your heart that, Christ, uh, that God has raised him from the dead, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all it is. That's all it is. As if that's such a minor thing you get done and okay, life's... No, it is life changing. It is abundant life in Jesus. It is your resurrection of hope. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord that you are still in the business of resurrection. You are still raising lives. You are still raising hope in hopelessness. God, the path is dark for many of us. The, the, the way is uncertain. The, 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 the struggles, the trials that we're going to go through are unknown and, and they are painful and they are difficult. And, and many of the time, much of the time, it will be the end for us. That, that painful struggle won't be just a step, but that will be the end. And yet, you are there. We can have hope in your presence. We can have hope in your confidence to take the path. We can have hope in your willingness to endure. We can have hope in your death. 
And God, we have hope in your resurrection. You promised that everyone who calls on you will be saved. And this morning, Lord, I pray that every one of us will call on you. Many of us have for salvation. All of us need to for hope. And some this morning need to call on you for salvation, Jesus, the first time. This is, this is the time. This is their opportunity to trust you for salvation. They've got head knowledge. They have religion. They have a church membership. They have something. They think they're okay, but God, they know in their heart there's a hole that only Jesus can fill. I pray today that that hole would be filled as they respond. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I can't do anything about that. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I place my faith for my eternity in your hands. My faith for tomorrow in your hands. Uncertain about tomorrow, but Lord, let me walk away from here. Certain about my eternity. Save me, Lord. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. God, we pray for your mighty work in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. So how should you respond today? Maybe you need to accept Christ. You've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You need to do that. And you've kind of thought about it just sitting there and you've heard the words that I've said, okay, I want to do that. And, and, and we want to help you with that. Tom is at the back, at the back door. He would love to talk to you. We can, he can take you to uh, a private place if you want to discuss it with him. You can grab me after the service and we can go somewhere and we can talk about it. Well, our offices are right back here. We can have a conversation about how you can trust Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and you need to be baptized. And you're looking up here and thinking, Michael, there's no baptistry. We got horse troughs we can get. We will baptize you. We got spar. We, we will baptize you. You don't worry about that. If you feel the Lord leading you in obedience, we will find you some water to go under. Maybe as a believer, you just need to lead a life of holiness. You need to re recommit and return to Jesus. Maybe you need hope today that you haven't had in some time. Let Jesus resurrect hope in you today. Be used according to his purpose. Maybe you need to join our church. We'd love to have you join our church. Be a part of it. Be a member here. We have a new members class that we can uh, schedule in the next few weeks, and you can become a member if you need to be baptized, if you want to follow Jesus, you can go through that as well. We explain all that to you. But now is your time of decision. Now is your time of response. If you're watching online, send us a message. Let us know. Send us an email. Your connection card. I think there's a place for notes on the Faith Life app. If you scroll to the bottom of today's bulletin and you fill that out, I think there's a place for comments down there. We have paper ones if you're old school. Let us know how God is dealing with you today. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, we're going to have a, a few moments of reflection, a few moments of response, and as we sing, let God work on your heart today. Do business with Him. Let's stand.